Thanks, John. And Gloria, a friend of mine just came back from the Northern Territory. And uh, as you do as a tourist there, you learn about Aboriginal culture. And from uh, what they've been, what they experienced, they, it became obvious that there were clear cultural roles for men and for women around maintaining family responsibilities and uh, passing on the culture within Aboriginal culture. So only men are allowed to kill and hunt wombat and kangaroo, for example. Don't know about other, other, other animals. Uh, there are certain areas which only women can go, or other areas that only men can go. Uh, the men were responsible for providing food and sh- shelter and clothing. Women were more in the domestic sphere, uh, where they were viewed as life givers and caretakers of life. As children grew up, they're encouraged to play games according to their gender. I have family ties with Finland uh, through uh, Katie. And Finland is in the top two most gender equal countries in the world, actively promoting the rights of women. So 46% of members of parliament in Finland are women. 49% of all employee, all those employed are women. So from what I can see, they are two very distinct cultures in terms of how men and women function in home and society. And I reckon our culture is somewhere in the middle. But as we come to church and as we come to God's word, God is sovereign over all men and women, over every culture on earth. His word speaks into each culture. And so what does God have to say to men and to women both to the traditional Aboriginal culture, to the Finnish culture, and to ours in the middle. Well, as Tom mentioned, we are finishing our series on humanity, looking at humanity as gendered. Uh, I'm, uh, I have a big sense of frustration because uh, I, there's no chance I'll cover everything in this topic. Uh, so just consider this an introduction. And we can uh, talk more deeply over the years. Uh, in our sexuality series last year, we looked at transgender and gender identity. So that won't be a focus today. But we will think through how God made us male and female, both in creation, but in sin, in salvation. We'll look at how we follow Jesus as men and women today. Uh, I'll explain from the Bible our current practice in terms of men and women up the front in church, including preaching, and also we'll think through how discipleship of Jesus might look different, depending on whether we're a man or a woman. And later, uh, and after this, uh, Katie will be sharing some reflections from her perspective as well. But let us all hear God speak to us as men and women with the goal of that we honour Jesus as we follow him together. So let's turn to God's word. Let's hear from him. Genesis chapter 1 is uh, where we've gone back to a lot in this series. And we'll see from Genesis 1 that God says men and women are made co-image bearers and designed to cooperate. Let me put up on the screen for you Genesis chapter 1. In terms of God making humankind, God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God's given us a task 
to rule over the created world. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so all of humankind is made in the image of God. All of humankind. We've seen this already through the series, haven't we? We are so precious, so valuable, so worthy, not because of who, what we've done, but because of what God has done for us, how God has made us in his image. But for this week in particular, it's male and female humanity, which is in the image of God. There's no distinction in value or worth between men and women. In God's sight, there is no distinction between uh, men and women in value and dignity. We're all in the image of God. And so what that means is, if you have any sense of superiority because you're a man or because you're a woman, then that is not from God. Male and female are both in the image of God. But also, just as there is diversity in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, humanity, humanity images God through its diversity of male and female. And so it's male and female together. That is humanity in the image of God. We see this play out, play out in the creation narrative. The first not good thing in God's created world is this. God said it is not good for the man to be alone. So man alone in his task to rule the world is not good. It doesn't work. Only the man and the woman working together is good in God's world. And so God said, I will make a helper suitable for him. So the woman is made a helper. Now, when we read helper, don't think kind of assistant, like personal assistant who's, you know, just there to fetch the tea and cookies. That's not, that's not what's on view here. Uh, think essential partner for the work. God is even described as Israel's helper. He doesn't, well, he does bring milk and honey and water and things, but he provides them, he provides their salvation. He's essential for their salvation and their sustenance. So just like God helps Israel, uh, the woman was to help the man in the garden. Man is made first, and the Bible makes a point of this uh, later on, that the creation of woman is essential for humanity and its good functioning. So what that means is if you have any feelings of, Uff, men, we don't need them, or women, we're better off without them, That's not from God. That is not from God. And the woman is described as a suitable helper. The Hebrew word behind that conveys a sense of opposite or complementary. The woman is the same enough as the man to be compatible, unlike the animals, but she is different in the sense of being man's complement. That means that a man by himself is lacking in as terms of humanity. A woman by herself would be lacking. She complements him and he complements her. Only the two together form the complete humanity. 
We need to hold on to this as we think through uh, this, uh, these, these issues. Andrew Sheed, former member of this church and um, a Bible scholar, says, Gender is a creational gift. God made men and women different from one another so they can love one another out of that difference. See the beautiful picture of humanity God has made? But as believers in God who made us male and female, how should we think about the differences between men and women? Well, firstly, God made us biologically different. Female bodies are different to male bodies. There are things that are specific to each gender, like reproductive organs. And there are general differences between the male body and the female body. So generally speaking, men are taller than women. Uh, This graph is, um, you know, it's not 100% accurate, but it's, it's, you know, it's something like this. Uh, men generally more taller than women. As you can see, that there's some women who are taller than some men. But in general, most of the time, men are taller than women. That's just a feel, uh, physical reality. But more than physical things, I think some of the harder things to think through are personality traits. Uh, have a look at this quote. There have been countless studies which have shown consistent differences between the sexes. In general, men are found to tend towards greater competitiveness, dominance, risk-taking, initiation, and aggression, whereas women have greater empathy, intuition, and social skills. So let's pick one of those things mentioned. Let's say risk-taking. Again, my hunch is that they'll have similar bell curves. Uh, Some women will be more risk-taking than some men, but in general, men are more risk-taking than women. So there are inherent differences in general. They're not what define us as uh, men and women, so there is overlap. But they give a hint of how we are made. And when we start talking about gender difference, though, it can make us feel uneasy, particularly in this day and age. A psychologist called Steven Pinker kind of gives uh, voice to this. Why are people so afraid of the idea that the minds of men and women, so not just their bodies, but their minds, are not identical in every respect? The fear, of course, is that different implies unequal. That's kind of, uh, some of us will have that fear if we talk about difference. But if we trust what God says, that we are equally made in his image, then we don't need to fear, but we are free to explore these differences, understand how God has made us as male and female, and work on how we can relate to one another within our differences. Here's what the Bible does. The Bible teaches that men and women are different, and those differences extend to some degree to differences in ways of behaving, to gender roles. But the Bible does not strictly specify the details of those behaviours and it offers important examples of men and women who uh, behave in non-stereotypical ways, most notably the Lord Jesus himself. So there is genuine difference between how God made us as gendered humanity. But God gives large scope 
for each culture, each family, each man and woman to express those differences. Uh, we heard from our barberings today in 1 Kings, David, King David said to his son and heir Solomon, he says as he's passing on the kingship, so be strong, act like a man. Strength is one of those generalizations. Men are generally stronger than women. And the Bible reflects that generalization there. But the twist is, Solomon is to use his strength to walk in obedience to God. Or from Proverbs 31 that we heard in the second reading, the wife of no more character, uh, we hear this, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting. Charm and beauty, two generally um, uh, female uh, characteristics. But it goes on, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. See, the fear of the Lord is to be praised more than any of those things. So the Bible acknowledges the differences between men and women, but never mandates those stereotypes. So there's nothing in the Bible that said that, to say that men shouldn't be the homemaker. But for both men and women, honouring God, obeying God is the highest goal. And the Bible has examples of people going against the gender stereotype. So Judge Deborah fought in battle in obedience to God. Or King David wrote emotional poetry for the honour of God. But again, we'll think a bit later on how we might honour God with our gender differences. But before we get there, the next thing God tells us is sin creates hostility between men and women. Sin creates hostility between men and women. We're together designed to worship the God who made us and to love one another. But in Genesis 3, the story of humanity's rejection of God's good rule as both Adam and Eve ate from the tree that God forbid them to. And so both wanted self-rule, not God-rule. Both wanted to determine what right and wrong is instead of following God's goodness. And as a result of their hostility to God, hostility between one another came about. Look what the man does as soon as his sin is exposed. In Genesis 3, the man says, The woman, you put me here. Double blame. The woman, you, God, put me here. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The man gives up his responsibility to keep himself and his wife uh, in obedience to God and instead, instead turns to blame instead of love. And as God lays out the curses for sin, the curse of the woman includes your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So right relations between husband and wife are broken down. The woman will desire the responsibility given to her husband and the husband will use his strength for domineering. They are the terrible consequences of sin, rejecting God's good rule. And so while men and women are equal under sin, sinful expression can be different for men and for women. So again, as we struggle for self-rule, rejecting God's rule, in the struggle for power, men tend, might tend towards intimidation or aggression 
Women may tend towards verbal put-downs or emotional manipulation. Same desire, but expressed in different ways. What that means is being masculine or being feminine is not the problem. It's sin in each of us that is the problem. And so as a church, we need to repent when we, when that, when we express that. So from a male perspective, whenever I use or whenever I, whenever men in our church use our masculinity to control or humiliate or to ignore the perspective of others or to treat people in a patronizing way, we need to repent of that. We need to call it out on one another in our church family. It's not how we're called to cooperate together but it's an expression of our rejection of God. And so, in the mess that is gendered humanity under sin, what do we do? What do we do? We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Jesus came to earth as a man, but he didn't let the prevailing gender stereotypes define him or restrict him. So as a man, he displayed great strength. He took responsibility over himself and others. Uh, This quote from this book called The Manual, I reckon this is a really helpful book in thinking through masculinity. So if you're a man or you've got boys growing up, this is a really helpful book to read. Uh, Al Stewart quotes, Healthy masculinity is a willingness to take responsibility and to use the power you have to care for and nurture those around you. That's true masculinity and Jesus displays it. But Jesus was also gentle. He was humble. He never domineered or belittled women. He cared for both men and women. He taught both men and women. He engaged both women and men in ministry, working together for God's kingdom. And ultimately, he resolves the issues between men and women. He is the one that brings our striving for for power ourselves into striving for the glory of God through his sacrificial death for men and women. And so in Christ, as we have shared the Lord's Supper together to be one humanity again, in Christ we can be united by God and united to one another. Have a look at this verse from Galatians. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So all those things that once divided humanity, now they don't in Jesus. That doesn't mean that these things don't exist anymore. People are still Jew or Gentile. People are still male or female. But the divisions that those groups have are torn down in Christ Jesus. We're all children of God through faith. There's no difference in status between men and women in Christ. Well, let me take you to 1 Peter 3. We unpack this 
uh, in our 1 Peter series a little while ago, so there'll be lots left unsaid here. But it says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. See the instruction given to Christian husbands. There is a difference in relating of a husband compared to a wife, particularly recognising for the husband that in general, husbands are physically stronger, so that needs to be taken into consideration. But see how both are heirs of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so a husband must respect his wife because she is equal, an equal co-heir. They're all, they are both God's children and must view one another as such. That's what Christ has achieved. In his salvation, we are one in Christ Jesus, children of God together, co-heirs of eternal life. And so, how do we live this out? How do we live this out? On the whole, God gives instructions to men and women together. The vast majority of the New Testament does this. Let's start within the church. The apostle uh, calls all God's children to be clothed uh, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That is the command for all of us in that uh, top, uh, top verse. But as men and women, we'll express that differently. So the way we express compassion or the way we express humility or gentleness will generally look different to men and women, and that's okay. That is good. But as we go on, just later in the chapter, there's specific uh, commands to uh, wives and husbands, specific teaching to men and women in the context of a particular relationship. So it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Katie will reflect a bit on the call to wives, and we've gone into greater detail into in previous sermons. But can you see that there are plenty of general instructions in following Jesus, and a few specific ones to men and women in specific relationships? Uh, Same with our relationships in church. Uh, All through the New Testament, there's examples of men and women serving alongside one another uh, in ministry. Just like we are to live and love one another together, we are to serve together. One example is Priscilla and Aquila, our husband and wife in uh, the first century. Uh, This uh, little verse from Acts explains, so Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So this big teacher, but he lacks some understanding. And so both together, male and female together, helped explain the way of God more. There's plenty of examples through the Bible of things like this. And so at All Saints, we want to keep growing in that partnership between men and women as we serve God together. We teach and admonish one another as we sing. We need to keep listening to one another as we make plans and as we live out our vision for as a church. 
the work of ministry in church is a partnership between men and women. But like in marriage, there are a few specific roles given to men in the church gathering. The eldership of the church, the weighing of prophecy, not going into that today, and uh, and from 1 Timothy 2, the teaching with authority in the gathered church. Again, this will all be far too brief. We'll go through it deeply when we look at 1 Timothy at a later time. But the Apostle Paul says, instructing Timothy in the ordering of church gatherings, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So a lot has been written on this, on these verses. I've read a lot, I haven't read it all. Uh, into the scholarship of these verses. I've done it uh, a lot again uh, for uh, this time around. But what I see is the context of what this is saying is the ordering of the church gathering, just like uh, our church service here. And so the teaching and authority on view here is in that space. Men and women are to teach one another in matters of faith all the time, but particularly in the gathered context. Qualified men and women are to take the responsibility to teach and assume authority according to the created order. And how I, what I think that uh, comes out in expression is particularly in our sermon teaching. Uh, the quietness mentioned there to women is not to say women should be silent. It's been wonderful to hear uh, uh, lots of women in this church contribute in lots of different ways. Uh, just as uh, women in the first century church contributed in lots of different ways up the front. But the quietness is one of order within the church, reflecting the order of creation. And so what that means for us as in our church life is that I want to keep doing all that we can to see men and women partner in ministry together. We need one another because we're different to help us grow to more, be more like Jesus. And I want to respect the few instructions given about men and women. And so while the responsibility for preaching uh, lies with uh, some men, you know, I, I'm, I'm keen to have uh, women to be to play a part in sermons from time to time, let alone service leading or uh, sharing a testimony or leading us in singing. Uh, we'll, hear, um, we'll hear more from Katie as well. I guess I should, if we seek to wrap up this series, Katie will share in a second, but for me wrapping up, uh, it wouldn't be complete without a Barbie reference. <laughs> uh, it's okay if you haven't seen the movie, it's really fine. Uh, but in the movie, we see at some points women supreme over men. And then at other points we see men supreme over women. And kind of in the end, without giving too much away, it's kind of... Uh, Men and women are kind of independent of each other. But it's in Christ that men and women join together for mutual enrichment. In our church family, it's where the grace of God rules us both so that we can serve one another. We can lay down trying to rule one another because God lovingly rules us. We can 
repent when our differences divide us. And we can draw near to one another to serve God together because Jesus has drawn us near through his death on the cross. Let me invite Katie up to share a bit from her perspective. Will you be pleased? There's no Barbie references here. Um, I have seen the movie, but you know. Um, now, I know the topic of gender can um, bring up lots of different emotions and reactions uh, for different people. Uh, I know that when I was growing up, the pressures around gender were quite different, even to what they are now. Uh, but God's word uh, on men and women has stayed the same. It's a good gift from God that he's made us men and women. We're made in his image. Uh, we're engaged in the same mission. We're equal in dignity and equal in value. But there are clear distinctions between the genders as well, as Anton has talked about. Often society seems to teach us to rail against some of these distinctions and want everything to be the same. But God's word has made the distinctions pretty clear. Being men and women is part of the good way God's made us. And I just want to share a few reflections uh, for me about how this plays out in church and marriage. So starting with church... I feel fortunate to be part of a church here at All Saints uh, which values women highly and really values women's contributions to church life. And while God has given a particular responsibility to some men to teach and lead the whole church, uh, this doesn't give high regard or value to men here at All Saints. It just shows God's created order and how he's designed the roles of men and women differently. Sometimes there can be a lot of focus on the responsibilities that are specific to some men that we can forget about the many opportunities and avenues available to all women in ministry. Things like teaching women, leading Bible studies, running specific ministry groups, leading and being involved in services, meeting with people one-on-one, teaching kids and youth, pastorally caring for others, having valuable input into big decisions and on things like parish council, and I could go on. Um, some things I've been really encouraged by at church uh, in our short time here uh, were mourners teaching at the Women's Reflection Day in July. It was excellent. Um, last year, I really appreciated being in uh, Liz and Steph's Bible study group and just learning from how they've lived out their faith over many years. There are a number of women studying theology at our church at the moment, which is wonderful. And women are just so important to the ministry and mission of church, both in Jesus' day and also now. And now on to marriage. I realise not everyone here is married, uh, but we are all part of a church community where we're seeking to encourage one another in our specific circumstances. And for many people, that does mean encourage them in their marriage. Uh, Christian marriage is a partnership. It's men and women working together to honour Jesus. Uh, It's important to note the Bible's teaching on submission and what I'm going to talk about doesn't condone uh, abuse in any form, and so that is a kind of a separate thing to what I'm talking about now. Uh, God has called husbands uh, to sacrificially serve their wives and lead their families. Husbands are to model themselves on Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve. It's a big responsibility. It can, it can be a freedom to submit to that as a wife, knowing that you can entrust yourself to the loving care of your husband. 
It means knowing someone deeply cares for you and your family and has your spiritual growth as a top priority. So this means for wives, uh, leaving room for husbands to show initiative in this leading and encourage them uh, in their efforts. I know all marriages are different and some wives have not found submission to their husbands easy, probably all wives actually. Um, No husband is perfect, uh, but joyful submission and encouragement can go a long way in helping husbands to um, be able to love and make sacrifices for their families. In our house, this has sometimes looked like me chatting to Anton about how we could be better reading the Bible as a family, but then him taking the lead in making that happen. It means me not being critical when Anton makes good efforts to lead and grow our family, but encourage him in that and just maybe not speaking the first thing that comes into my head. Um, I don't hold back uh, from sharing opinions with Anton as we're working through decisions together, and we really are partners in the way we do that. And as we relate, like as we all relate like this in marriage, we can help our marriages point to something much bigger than us, which is to how much Jesus loves his church. So as women, we continually need God's help to work uh, this all out. It is tricky, um, but there is lots that we can rejoice in, in God's good plan in making us as women. That's for me.